It says in verse number one, the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he had girded himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved. Now, first, before we go forward, let me ask you a question. Who do you think established the world? The creator did. He said he established it to the point that it cannot be moved. Now, on the surface, you probably are thinking, well, I understand that. It'd take a big tidal wave to get the world rocking. It'd take a lot to get the world to move. A big comet or something would have to hit it to get it off course. But that's not what he's talking about. When he says that the, the world is established, it means that God is on the throne. He's ruling it, and nothing is outside the parameter of his control. In other words, there's nothing that's going to happen on the earth that God hasn't established, and it's not going to take the earth out of his hands. There's no carnage, there's no destruction, there's no pestilence, there's no earthquake, there's no depression, there's none of that that's going to happen to the point that it's going to cause God to lose grip on the world that he created. He established it, and it's not going to move out of his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand, amen? He's got the whole world in his hand, and he's not letting go. He's still in control. Most people believe that, God, where are you? He's holding the world. People will cry out, where's God in the election? Where's God in the stock market? Where's God in my job right now? He's holding the world in his hand. He's holding, one of the things that the devil wants you to see is that he wants you to be blind to the fact that God is still in control. He wants you to be blind to that fact. Do you know that God was in control while Christ was being crucified? He could have made another way, but that was the way that he planned before time began. So that all throughout, in, in eternity future, we'll be singing glory to the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. We'll see his beauty and his love in one epic vision. When the Lamb is enthroned on high and we're gathered around Him, we will be worshiping the one who purchased us with His own blood. But it says here that, that the world established. Do you believe that? When bad news comes, when your health fails, when your finances fail, when your favorite team doesn't win or your politician doesn't win or things don't go your way, now, I know I might be preaching to somebody. When things don't go your way, do you know that God is still in control, that God established this world, that he is the God of this world? Do you realize that although the, the devil took authority when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, do you understand that God still was in control even though Adam had yielded? Do you still understand that it is not as though God has an enemy in the devil, that they're in this epic tug of war? The Bible says that the devil is our enemy. He was created by God. If God told him to roll over and bark like a dog, guess what the devil's going to do? If God snapped his fingers and told him he couldn't exist anymore, guess what? God is in control. Well, why? Why? God wants you to see him. God wants you to turn to him. 
Sometimes God will get us to that place where all other options are exhausted. If you keep going through the motions and you keep getting into places where you don't understand, you don't understand, you don't understand, guess what? The Lord's getting you to look toward. He's getting you to look toward redeeming love at Calvary. He's getting you to, to let go of all other options, all over idols, all over plans, all of the other things that you could invest your soul in. He's getting you to the point where you turn to Christ. That's why. That's why you can have the best steak dinner, the best TV program, the best view in town, the most money, and still be unfulfilled. Why? Why? Because only God satisfies the soul. You were created to worship the Creator. You were created to honor the King. Our very life is supposed to be laid down to glorify the one who laid down his life for us. And when we get caught up in other things, we begin to, we, we begin to get frustrated and we wonder why this door closed and that door closed and this. Because we, 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 we did it with all our heart and we tried our best. And God has a better plan. Do you know that whenever Moses asked to see God, God didn't let him see his face? Do you remember that? God told him, you're not going to be able to see where I'm going, but I'll show you where I've been. And if you look back over the past of your life, you'll see where God has been. You'll see that God has carried you from one experience to the other, to the other, to the other. And if you'll look back and give a testimony to God, you'll see God has never left you. You are here where you are because God got you this far. And you can trust that if God got you this far, whatever's going to come next, he's going to be okay. He's going to be with you in it. He's going to make the way. He'll open the right door, right? He'll lead you into the right relationships, correct? He'll make provision when you need something. He'll be what we need. Moses said, Lord, what shall I tell him your name is? He said, tell him I am. You are what? He's what we need. He's what you need. When, when, you're too, when, when, when you have too many things going on and you're, you've got all of these thoughts racing in your mind, guess what he is? He's rest. He's rest. When you're weak and frail, ask Paul about that. What did he become to Paul? Strength. When you're in darkness, guess what God is? Light. When you're in a den of lions, guess what he does? He shuts their mouths. He is what you need. Don't let the devil lie to you. Understand that one of the main tactics that the devil tries to do is to get you to look at the circumstances instead of finding God in your circumstance. Daniel, when he was thrown in the den of lions, he could have, frail, he could have cried and whined and moaned about it, but he found God in it. I don't know anybody that would enjoy getting in a den of lions. Not even zookeepers. they only the ones that they know, right? I don't know anybody that would truly enjoy getting thrown in a den of lions, and yet he found God in it. I don't know what your situation is, 
But I know that God's in it. I know that God's in it. I know that, that whatever you're going through financially or in your health or in your job or all these shut doors, I know that God is there. And he'll open the right door. He'll show you the way. He'll turn the light on if you'll turn to Jesus. If you'll turn to Jesus. Do you know that sometimes we're our own worst enemy? We compound our own problems. I heard one minister say one time, sometimes the issue is you. Sometimes our greatest enemy is ourselves, right? No, no, nobody sometimes causes us more defeat than our own selves. But even in that, if you'll turn to Jesus, he'll give you strength to overcome even your own self. Look at this. It says that the world is also, the world also established that it cannot be moved. Listen to this, verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. That's King James. For thou means one person. One and one person alone. Do you know that there's one God? We don't worship three gods. We worship one God, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. There's one God, and there's only one God that is from everlasting. Thou art from everlasting. Do you know that he was here before time? He was here before space. He was here before any matter or molecules could have ever done anything. He, was, he just existed. He existed. Thou art from everlasting. You know what? If God existed from everlasting then it's okay to trust him. He knows what he's doing with our little lives. Verse 3, it says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. You know, this psalm was written whenever Jerusalem was surrounded by Sinarachib. The, the Jerusalem was surrounded by the enemy, and the enemy was coming to take them away. This is whenever Hezekiah prayed, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. But when it says that the, all the waters are against them, what he's talking about is the, the voice of the enemy. The water that he's talking about, the waves that he's talking about, are the lies that come from the devil. The world shouts. The enemy roars. There is pressure to cause you to doubt the creator. The enemy walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. May he devour you. Would you be low-hanging fruit that he can devour? Do you know what low-hanging fruit means? If you ever had a goat, you know what that means. They eat the lowest thing. They'll stretch as far as they can, and they'll get all that they can. Do you know that the devil will get all that he can? If you've got areas of your life that you're not staying consecrated to God in, if there's areas of your life where you're not appropriating the blood of Christ, if there's areas of your life where there's hidden sin, I want you to know that's low-hanging low fruit. And, and the devil's looking for people with low-hanging fruit. 
The floods lift up. They lift up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. You understand that if God is higher than this world, no amount of waves can overcome you if you're on the rock. But the enemy roars to create a campaign of pressure against you, to cause you to doubt who you are and to cause you to doubt who God is, that God knows where you're at, that God understands what you're going through, and not only that he's aware of it, but that he's able and will get you through it. Doubt, fear, and hopelessness are all products of a campaign of pressure applied by your enemy. Whenever you go through and you begin to fear, yeah, the stock market crashed. Your favorite politician is either elected or not elected, or this is happening or that's happening. Did you hear about the camp they're going to put everybody in? Did you hear about the war that's about to happen? Did you hear about everybody's moved by rumors instead of being fixed on what God said? If you allow yourself to entertain rumors and be moved by rumors and be moved by things that could and could not happen and possibly and might and I heard and it might be and somebody once said, I want you to know this. Those things may or may not be true, but we can stand on one fact, what God has said. We don't know what somebody said. We don't even know if they're liars or if they're truth tellers or what. But I know we can stand on what God has said because he never changes. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is established and we can count on it. We can stand on it. We can put faith in it because it never changes. People change. Nations change. Our nation has embraced ungodliness at an unprecedented level. If we're going to hit the bottom, nobody knows. Unless God is merciful and brings revival to the church, I think we're going to hit the bottom. But whether we do or not doesn't change God's word. Even if we hit the bottom, God's still good. He'll find us in the valley. He'll find us wherever we are. He still works in dungeons and in prisons, and he still works when we're broke. He works on the mountaintop, and he works in the valley. Somebody say amen. He is not going to stop working just because we've given up. He'll still work. If you'll turn back to him, turn back to him, he'll meet you where you're at. The prodigal son... The prodigal son walked away from his father, but the moment he turned back, his father met him. Do you remember that? Now watch this. It says in verse 4, the Lord is the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. God is above the noise of the world. People are pulling out their hair because they don't understand what's going to happen next. 
God's already in the next. We don't know what's going to happen next, but God's in the next. And if you're in God and God's in you, guess what? You'll be okay whatever happens next. Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the body and cast the soul where? Into hell. We're not to fear man. What can man do? Give us a shortcut to glory. That's all a man can do is give us a shortcut to heaven. I want you to know if you're in Christ, you have victory. Your victory is not promised on this side of glory. Your purchased promise is in heaven with your Savior. God never promised us two cars, a house, and a white picket fence. He promised us eternity in our soul while we're here and eternity as an inheritance when we're there. That's what he promised. And that's what he'll give us. See, God is higher than the noise. If, if, if you allow yourself to get down in the valley and you allow the, the noise of the world to get up on you, you're going to fear, you're going to get moved into hopelessness, and you're going to doubt. You're going to doubt that God still loves you. I want you to know God knows you. He loves you. He bought you, and he'll come and save you. God has never left you. He's never forsaken you, no, not once. Did you know that the Bible says that? The Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, it says that God never will leave you and he will never forsake you, no, not once. The Lord is on high and he's mightier than the noise. Do you know that there were times in the Bible whenever people were around God? And the noise was louder than Jesus? How many times in the Bible was the noise louder than Jesus? Do you remember those times? I remember the rich young ruler. Jesus told him to walk away from everything, give everything, and to come follow him. And you know what? The noise of all his possessions was too loud. The noise of all of his possessions was too loud to walk away from it and turn to Jesus. I want to share with you a story. Somebody heard Jesus above the crowd. That's a good story. Look at this last verse before we turn there. It says, thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Now, we're, we're going to come back to that, but I want you to see when it says, thy testimonies are very sure, understand what he's saying. He's, he's saying God's word is sure. The testimony of Scripture will never change. Men may try to change it, but God's word has never changed. Did you know that whenever they dug up the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the book of Isaiah, and to the letter, that book of Isaiah was exactly like we have in our Bibles right now. God's word has never changed. Now let's turn, turn with me over to, to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Can I tell you something? The enemy's voice is drowned out only by one thing. The master's voice. 
Have you ever tried to talk somebody out of something whenever they were hard-headed? If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. But if you ever tried to talk somebody out of doing something that you know is going to cause them harm, you know is going to lead them down the wrong path, you know is going to open a door that they don't want to go in, but they just won't listen. Sometimes as a parent, you got to say, hey, you can do that as a parent, at least for a while. Once they get older, they still do what they want to do sometimes, right? Because there's a voice of the enemy. There's a voice of the world that is drawing people, doing everything to try to draw people away from God. If you look at the way things are going in the world today, everybody is putting their hope in politicians or programs or any other thing that they can, but it's all moving people away from God. You can say what you want, but if you hope in a man, you missed it. Our hope's supposed to be in God. Our hope's supposed to be in God. Listen, the voice of the enemy is drowned out by one voice and one voice alone. Not mine, not yours, not your church, not my church, not your denomination, not my denomination, not your politician, not my politician. The enemy's voice is drowned out by one sound, the master, the master. Listen, do you remember whenever, we just talked about how the, the Bible in Psalm 93 likened the enemy's voice to waves. Do you remember Jesus when the storm was blowing on that boat and the disciples thought they were going to drown? Does it remind you of the church today? We're going to die. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And all he had to do is speak. And peace came. Did you know whenever you truly will get down on your face and you truly cry out to the Lord, peace will come? You don't understand what I'm going through. I don't, but he does. I'm not the author of peace. He is. I don't know what I need, much less what you need. All I know is that we both need Jesus. That's what I know. There's times in our lives where we're going through situations we don't even know how to express what we're going through. There's things that bother us that we don't even know how to articulate. Thank God for the prayer of the Spirit. Thank God that we can press in and pray through situations we may not even be able to speak about, but God knows and he intercedes for us. And he'll meet you. He'll meet you. When you come to him by faith, he'll meet you. I want to tell you a story about blind Bartimaeus. Reminds me of, of one of the dear saints that wrote him, so Fanny Crosby. She was said she was blind at six months or six weeks old. And she wrote some of the greatest hymns. Blessed Assurance. So one of the best. Fanny Crosby, they, one old minister was talking to her one time, and he said, I just feel so sorry for you. You know, you're going to live all your life, and you're never going to, you know, to, to see 
the beautiful colors of the rainbow, and I just feel so sorry for you. You know, sometimes it'd be better if you just were quiet. Job's friends, right? I think that pastor was kin to one of Job's friends. But you know what she said? She spoke in faith, and she spoke something so powerful. She said, don't feel sorry for me. She said, I'm glad that I was born this way. And the pastor said, well, why in the world can you say that you're glad you were born blind? And she said, because, sir, the first face I will see is the face of Jesus. Hallelujah. How beautiful is that? See, our eyes have seen ungodly things. Our eyes have gone ungodly places. We've, we've got images burned in our brain that we have to pray through and that the Holy Spirit has to, has to cleanse us of. But this dear saint of God, she had so much faith. She said, don't pray for me. I'm glad because the first eyes, the first face my eyes will see is Jesus. What faith is that? Amen. Well, blind Bartimaeus, I, I, I believe he might have been kin to Fanny Crosby. They, they had that same kind of faith. I want to look at him in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says that they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, speaking of Jesus, with his disciples and a great number of people, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. This is the kind of person that you drive by and you try to not look at with the sign. Please help. This is the kind of guy that, that you, you try not to make eye contact with. The Lord's about to minister to you through one of those kind of people. He's going to show you what faith is. Amen. He said that he sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that he was Jesus of Nazareth, what, what was he listening to? He, he listened to somebody say Jesus is coming. Was he listening to somebody say, you poor beggar? What are you doing? You, you, you're causing the property value of this highway to go down. Get out of here. You don't belong here. No good. Sorry. He didn't listen to that. He heard somebody talk about Jesus. They probably weren't even talking to him. You know, the, the, the guy that opened Azusa Street, Brother Morris, he, they said when he was in Bible school, they wouldn't even let him in because of the color of his skin. Did you know that? He sat under the window on the outside, and he listened to this guy talk about Jesus, even though he wouldn't tell him about Jesus because of the color of his skin. He sat under that windowsill and got a whole seminary education. And he got more God than they did. He got full of the Spirit. God sent him to Kansas City. Then he went down to California. And 
Azusa Street broke out in revival, birthing denominations like the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal Church of God, all these faiths. And God used this man because he wouldn't, listen, even though they weren't talking to him directly, he was so hungry for God. Even though he was rejected because the color of his skin, he knew that God accepted him. And that's what mattered. And because of his hunger, he heard something that they didn't hear. Did you know that Jesus spoke to many people, but not everybody heard him? Oftentimes you'll see in the scripture, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, people can hear sermon after sermon after sermon and not hear it. That's why we have to pray for that anointing that we can hear in our hearts. So listen, it says in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the term son of David is a term of, I'm telling you, you are the Messiah. He knew who to cry out to. He cried. It was very undignified. This, this is not protocol. He's standing on the road with the beggar sign. He hears Jesus is coming. He heard the gospel message and he just began to cry out, Jesus! Do you know if you'll cry out to Jesus like that, he'll move heaven and earth to come help you. This guy cried out. Now watch this. It says that he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48. And many, many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, the, the, a lot of the people around Bartimaeus told him, shh, be quiet. They told him to hold his peace. They told him, stop making a scene. You see, you ever seen somebody go to an altar and they begin to wail and everybody says, would they just be quiet? I'm hungry. I'm, I'm ready to go to Pizza Hut. I wish that they would get over whatever they got going on and be quiet so we can get out of here. But this person needed a desperate touch from God. And, and, and when you need a desperate touch from God, it don't matter what everybody thinks. If you get desperate enough, it don't matter what people say about you. If you want God enough, it don't matter what people think about you. And, and, and this guy, they all told him to be quiet. Hush. And it says he cried out the more. He kind of had a little hard-headedness. Reminds me of some of us. Oh, you're going to tell me to be quiet? I'm going to get louder. That's what David did with his wife, right? When she told him, very undignified of, of, of somebody, you know, in, in the royalty to, to dance like you're dancing. I can get even more undignified than this. Watch this. Well, this guy, Bartimaeus, as, as he's crying out, Jesus, they tell him to be quiet, and he shouts louder. Now, do you think that Jesus was hard of hearing? I don't think Jesus was hard of hearing. 
But something caught his attention when he heard Bartimaeus cry louder. It wasn't the volume that he heard. It was faith that he heard. It was that Bartimaeus was determined to not be denied. I will not be denied. He heard the same thing the woman with the issue of blood exhibited. When she pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment, he heard that in the voice of Bartimaeus. He felt it in her touch. He heard it in his voice. A determination. I will not be turned away. I will not be denied. I'm coming after my God. If it costs me my life, if it costs everything I have and everything I am, I'm going after him. He was determined to get to Jesus. It says in verse 49, after he cried. Just look at that though, verse 48. It says, but he cried the more a great deal. In other words, I think he got to the point where he was embarrassing everybody. You ever been around somebody like that in church? You ever been embarrassed about somebody's worship? You know, I believe that these people were probably well-meaning people. When they were telling Bartimaeus to hush, they were probably just trying to respect the, you know, the atmosphere of the town and respect the rules and the protocol and all. They probably were well-meaning, probably. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But do you know that faith goes past those things? Desperate faith goes way past those things. The woman with the issue of blood had every right to be stoned, but she knew that if she could get to Jesus, she'd be made whole. Bartimaeus knew that if Jesus would hear him, he'd be made whole. Do you have that same faith? Do you have that same faith that if, 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 if Jesus could hear you, do you have the same faith that if he could truly hear you, that you'd be made whole? Do you have that faith? Because this guy did. Jesus wasn't hard of hearing. He didn't have to crank his hearing aid up to 10. Was that heard somebody? He, he heard the whole thing. He heard the whole thing. And when he heard Bartimaeus cry louder, he stopped. Look at this verse 49. And Jesus stood still. Can you, can you see that? Jesus is walking and he hears. Come on. Jesus, the one that walks on water. The one that is the author and finisher of life. The one that created you in your mother's womb. He's walking. And he hears a, a blind beggar cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He keeps walking. And when everybody tells him to be quiet, the guy shouts louder. Jesus stops. Says he stood still. Faith got his attention. Not volume, faith. Not volume, faith. Are you exhibiting faith toward Christ today? Look at this guy. Blind, beggar. The people, the person you try to drive past most people. I believe you probably stop and help them. 
But most people, this guy exhibits faith more than most Christians today. He wouldn't take no. He needed help. If you're honest, you need help. I said earlier, I don't know what the help is. You don't know what I need help for. But I, I need help from Jesus. You need help from Jesus? And this guy needed Christ. He cried out the more. Look what happened. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Now, I love this part. I love this part. This is the part I believe just stirred the emotions of Christ. It says in verse 50, And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. You don't have to tell him twice. He didn't even come sheepishly. Like he didn't say, oh, he didn't say, I'm just a beggar. I, he didn't, it wasn't any of that. He was accepted. Christ said, come here. He knew he was accepted in Christ. Do you know that you're accepted in Christ? He was accepted. He came. He cast off that, that, that stinky clothes. He cast off the garment of sin. He cast off those things. And he came to Jesus. Verse 51, it says that Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith that made thee whole. Most people will stop right there. Jesus told this guy, Go your way. Did he have a life? He was a blind beggar on the side of the highway. What way was he going to go? Jesus just told him, go. Here, here's your vision. Now go wherever you want to go. Go your way. But this guy got touched by God. He had an indelible mark from the creator. He felt love. When the world had rejected him, the world had despised him, the world had viewed him as a castaway. Jesus brought him in, accepted him, healed him, delivered him, gave him a new life. And this guy was told to go his own way. Go thy way. Look what happens. Verse 52, the end of it. It says, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Given the option to go home and do his own thing and go back to his own village and do this and do that, take care, right? Go back home, go tend to this, go feed your goats, go start a farm, go do this. He chose to follow Jesus. God, what he saw was that God touched him. God changed him, and he gave himself to God. He gave himself to God. You know, this is the safest place to be. The safest place to be is as close as you can be to the shepherd. We get in a lot of trouble when we get away from the shepherd. 
We get in the briar patch. Get ourselves in a bind and in a mess whenever we get away and stray away from God. Understand this, though. God is a consuming fire. So as you go through life, you're going to continually have to be refined by that refiner's fire. God is never going to be lukewarm. He's never going to be complacent. It's never going to be just chill. It is God is going to always be refining us, strengthening us, building us, and getting us to this place that he wants us to be. Jesus said, abide in him and he in you, and you would bear what? John 15, you would bear what? Fruit. But did you also know that if you didn't bear more fruit, he would prune you? He said that God would come and prune you so that you would bear more fruit. And if you didn't bear more fruit, guess what? He would cast you away. What? Go read John 15. God's desire is that you bear more fruit this year than you did last year. How are you going to do that when your favorite politician isn't in office? Or how are you going to do that when the stock market's down? Because you don't look to those things. How are you going to bear more fruit when the world is turned upside down? Because you don't belong to this world. You serve a God that is above the world. How are you going to bear more fruit? You're going to have to take your eyes off of politicians. You're going to have to take your eyes off the monetary system. You're going to have to take your eyes off of people and get your eyes on Jesus. God desires to be glorified by you being a fruit-bearing believer. What kind of fruit does God want to see in your life? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. When was the last time somebody said you were, man, you are just, every time I'm around you, I just feel God's love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. When was the last time those things were growing in your life? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God wants to see growing in our lives. And the more we abide in Him and He in us, the more those things will be present. I just love this. This guy followed Jesus. Faith. Faith heard God's Word and it brought a miracle in this guy's life. Brought a miracle. Do you think that the same miracle would have happened in his life if he would have been double-minded? You know, the, the Bible says that a double-minded person is unstable in a few of their ways, right? Some of their ways, right? It says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. It means that God couldn't count on them. It means their family couldn't count on them. It means the church couldn't count on them. It, it, it means that they were, they were here one day and gone the next, and here another day and gone the next, and then doing this and starting that and going there and doing this. Double-minded person is unstable, not in a few things. Not in a few select things. You're, you're unstable in that area. 
Double-minded person's unstable in all their ways. Until we, get to that pl- until we get to that place where we give all to God and we are all that he wants us to be, we'll be unstable. We will be here today, gone tomorrow, back again, try again. I call it roller coaster Christianity. It goes up and down. Everybody's, you know, doing the Facebook selfie when they're up here. Nobody does it when they're down here. It's like this, right? Do you know that God's better than that? God's better than that. Our job is to not be double-minded. You can't be double-minded on the things of God. You're going to have to get to that place where you set your mind on Christ, you set your mind on the things of God, and you don't allow any circumstance to move you off. I don't believe that anything would have moved Bartimaeus off of getting touched by Jesus. He shouted, and they told him to be quiet, and he shouted more. If they would have told him to be quiet again, I think he would have shouted even greater. If they would have tried to, to, to cover his mouth, he probably would have bit their finger. The only reason they didn't do that is somebody would have started a bite your finger denomination. But God, God heard faith, not volume. Does it sometimes feel like God is far away from you? Does it sometimes feel like whenever you pray that it hits the ceiling and bounces back? Do you feel like you're talking to yourself sometimes when you pray? Does it feel like that? Be honest. This guy, he was crying out, and he had even more extreme than that feeling. They told him to be quiet. What if when you prayed, not only did you have that self-doubt going on, but you had people telling you to hush? It reminds me of Hannah. Remember her in the book of 1 Samuel? She was praying for that baby. She went to the, to, she went to the, to the tabernacle. She went up there, and she began to pray, and she was praying in the Spirit. Her, you know, there was no understandable words coming forth and Eli said you drunk woman you remember that but what was she doing she was praying and even though the priest rebuked her she didn't let it deter her Bartimaeus was rebuked by many people, but he didn't let it deter his faith. God's looking for faith. Do you have faith? One of the things that you're going to have to do is understand this. Faith, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not Fox News or CNN. If you wonder why you don't have faith, turn off the TV. If you wonder why your faith isn't what it used to be, turn Facebook off. If you wonder why you're you're more fearful, you're more doubting, and your faith isn't where you know God wants it to be, turn off the noise of the world and get your faith back right. 
Get the word of God back into your soul, into your heart, in your mind. Meditate on his word. Believe him. Trust him. And God will make a way for you. God will open doors for you. God will heal your infirmities. God will loose the chains that have bound you. God will fill you with his own spirit. God will strengthen you when you're weak. He will be a light when you're in darkness. And he will lift you when you've fallen down. The Bible says in the book of Micah that the righteous man, right? Though we fall six times, he'll get up again. God will get you up. God will strengthen you. Now, let me, let me hit on one thing in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let me hit on this point right here. Now, if you know Philippians, you know that Paul's writing about joy. Paul had the joy, joy, joy down in his soul. The book of Philippians is all about joy, but it's written from prison. Hello. I think the church in America in this year, we need this book. We think the sky has fallen when God is still on the throne. We think the, the world is crashing when he said that he established the world and it cannot be moved. This world is his footstool. Now, in Philippians 4, one of the things that Paul teaches us in, in, in verse 6 and 7 is to not be stressed out, not be worried, not have anxiety, but to release those things, pray those things through, and God's peace will come to us, right? Look what he says in verse 8. Once you understand God loves you, God is going to make a way and you release anxiety, you release the things of the world. You know, the first charge that Paul gives them is don't get the newspaper. Honestly, you wonder why most people don't have joy in the Lord? Because they take joy in politicians. They take joy in the things of the world. They take joy in when things go the way they think they should go or when their football team wins or when their baseball team wins or when their politician team wins or when they get a raise at work. You see, one of the charges that we have as believers is to keep our minds fixed on Christ. Your pastor your elders, your Sunday school teacher, your spouse, your parents, whoever, they can teach you, they can lead you, they can take you to the fountain, but only you can drink. Only you can drink. Will you? You see, we, we, we can't say that we're drinking from the fountain of God when we're also drinking from the filth of the world. We have to make a choice. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to be unaware of everything. I'm not saying that. Don't think that. 
But I am saying you can't allow it to move your soul. You can't allow it to infect you. You can't allow it to affect your soul. The joy of your life. The light of God in you. Look at verse 8. This is it. Set your mind on God. We're called to fill our minds and set our hearts on the things of God. Look what Paul says here. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What is your apostle telling you to think about? The ball game tonight? What's your, what is your apostle telling you to think about? The election in 2022? What's he telling you to think about? The vaccine? What's he telling you to think about? Who's in power? Who's coming to get you? What's he telling you to think about? I'll tell you what. Jesus. He's telling you to think on Jesus. He's telling you to be blind Bartimaeus. When the world tells you you should be panicking, you shouldn't be talking about Jesus, you should, you, you, you should know your role, know your place, get back down where you're supposed to be, panic like everybody else, be fearful like everybody else, have doubts like everybody else. God's telling you to look past the noise, to know and understand this world's not sinking. He established it that it cannot be moved. He still reigns. He's still supreme. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still God. And we're His children. And He's telling us to think on these things. If you do, you'll see faith begin to grow. You know why? You'll see faith begin to rise. One thing that we need in the church world is more faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not what's on the news, not what's on TV, not what some retired general told you they're coming to do for you, not what somebody that, you know, has an aunt that works at Wall Street told That's not where faith comes from. Quickest way to lose joy is to walk away from what God's told you to do. Quickest way to find joy is to let it go. Be like blind Bartimaeus. Let it go. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Amen?